interviews here lately on the fly but this is one i've been wanting to do for a while you guys know i was a big still am a big california dreams fan that show back in the uh what's it was in the late 80s early 90s uh and we've we've had a, a couple of the guys up here we've had jay anthony frankie we've had brentley gore aaron jackson and the more i got to you know especially with listening to Jay talk about the music from the show, the guy that was behind the music for it and did some of you wrote, wrote the theme song and, and wrote the iconic and one of my favorite songs of all time. So glad I was there from the, the series finale of California dreams with me tonight. And I mean, he's done so much more. It, the more I did research on the more I was amazed. I was, you know, this guy's done some stuff, but with me tonight, is Mr. Barry Coffin. Welcome to the show, Mr. Coffin. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, this was uh this was something I actually last year I reached out to you on Facebook and and with the whole the whole COVID deal, you know, I I got it for a while and then you know trying to catch back up. I said, let me reach out to him again and see if he's still interested in it. And luckily you were. But man, what a what a great thing here to to be able to talk to the guy that, and you you look guys the background, I'm watching it right now. California Dreams, you can you can catch up on all the episodes on YouTube. Unfortunately, that's about the only way I can find it anymore. But uh, first of all, thank you so much. What an honor it is to have you on the show. Uh, and growing up, you grew up in Houston. Am I right there? Yeah. Growing up, what what were some of the your your early influences in music? How how did you get into music? <laughs> well, um, my both my parents sang and my brother, and my sister sang, and so it was sort of sort of the band trap family in that I didn't know everybody couldn't sing, you know. And so my, my parents <laughs> were graduated class of sixty, so they moved us around. So I was born in Ohio and I lived in Indiana and I lived in like really places farmhouses with no neighbors and then kind of real urban settings where you know that was a little bit different and then we lived in florida like my junior high years and then they eventually settled up in houston and then my brother and sister and i all went to uh the high school for the performing visual arts down in houston uh which is an incredible school and it really uh uh it was really really influential and also i in junior high, I went to, uh, I, I lived in Dunedin, Florida, a small little sa- town, but the uh, choir director, Ray Marquette, ended up starting the high school for the performing and visual arts in Florida. And he just had a great choir program. And I, I was playing football. I got hurt my freshman year. And so I took extra choir classes because I couldn't take the E and then it sort of stuck, you know, from there. Right. Yeah, I, I was reading one of your interviews and you said you were talking about how important the high school for performing and visual arts was to you turned you into a a mediocre football player into something <laughs> else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was never gonna make it in football. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I think you know, everything happens for a reason, I believe, and I think uh, you know that that injury may have happened for a good reason for you because you sure went on to do some good stuff. So, talk a little bit about you know. That being at the high school, you said you you took some extra choir classes and stuff, but there's a lot lot more stuff than just singing that you do. 
uh, you know, writing the mu music, write the songs. I, I've wrote, I'll tell you this. I don't know how you guys do it. I wrote, it, it was a few years ago. I think it was like my wife and my 20th anniversary. And I wrote, I actually wrote lyrics to a song. And I mean, it came, it flowed out pretty good. But I was like, if I had to do lyrics and if I had to do music and had to do like 10 of these, all the, you know, or 20 of them, I would be frantic. How would, how does, I mean, what's the process of that with you? Well, the, what was really weird about the California Dreams, especially the first year, uh, we had done the pilot for California Dreams, and then we'd done a pilot for Aaron Spelling for a, a TV show called The Heights, and both of them having a bunch of kids with a band. You know, one was an older group, one was a high school, and we figured, hey, maybe we'll get lucky and one of them will go in. And by we, I mean, it was me, Steve Tyrell, and his wife, Stephanie, we sort of you know, she wrote the lyrics and, you know, and I would tweak some things and then Steve would tweak some of my melodies and he would produce and I'd co-produce and arrange. And, you know, it kind of was the, the three of us doing everything, particularly in the first year. And uh, and then all of a sudden they both got picked up. We're going, <laughs> oh, you got to be kidding. Crap. And so we're we're writing It's a Song a Week, you know, and and Steve's handled a lot of the, the you know, everybody's business meeting thing like that. I'm kind of back cranking some things in there. And uh, at the same time we're doing California Dreams, somebody at Capitol released How Do You Talk to an Angel uh, to radio just for fun, just to kind of check it out. Well, what they forgot is they had done a promo, a 90-second promo that played in all the movie theaters all summer. So when they put that thing out, it went screaming up the charts. And we had no, they just started the series. We had We didn't have any songs, we didn't have a record. So Steve and I fly up to Vancouver. He brings an engineer. I pick up a, an engineer there named Dale Penner, who's a, a friend and engineer, you know, that I still work with today. And we were up there and we we're in the Little Mountain Studios. We're in Studios B and C and Aerosmith is an A. Oh, wow. And we did, <laughs> I did personally 96 hours in the studio in one week. It was like, oh, we basically did almost the whole album in two weeks and the poor actors, like they, they'd get released, they'd come, come into the studio and then they had an eight hour call. So at midnight they'd say, okay, you got to go. And they, the producers would walk them out, you know, into the parking lot and they'd have to go. And of course we go, if you want a good vocal, you'll turn around and they'd, you know, we'd, they'd circle back around and we keep them till four in the morning. And I'm sure that the, they didn't, the makeup people didn't appreciate what I gave them the next day. <laughs> so uh, you started out though writing jingles right well i wasn't i was seeing jingles more like in houston i, I was seeing like we used to have an astroworld you know which is like a six flags thing okay well, for 10 yeah. years it was come away with us to astroworld you know it's like all their all their jingles and stuff and so i did i was doing that i had a a band with two two girls that i had uh gone to the high school for the performing visual arts with and we were playing we were packing out the clubs and just doing everything. And then Steve Tyrell, had, who was from Houston, came back in town. And he said, hey, man, who's a really good singer here? Well, my name came up. Who's a good writer? Well, that guy, Barry. Who can produce? Well, there's this Barry guy. Oh, yeah. By, the third <laughs> time, yeah, by the third time, my name comes up. Goes, well, who is this guy? Let's invite him out. So I flew out to L.A. and I brought my little bag of tapes. And Steve is just a wild man. So he was in the middle of working on uh, supervising Extremities with Farrah Fawcett, which was James Russo's first film. It's based on a Broadway play and it's, you know, and so I walk in, they go, Hey, 
Barry, good. I'm glad you're here. He comes in and, you know, Steve's like just complete hustler. He's a, an ex-radio guy, so he could sell sand on the beach kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, what do you got? I whip out one of my dat tapes and, and play it for him, and he goes, that would be perfect for this scene. You're in. Go in there, and, get, and then he does the paperwork. So I come two times I come out, and I put a song in a movie because of Steve each time. And I'm going, well, how hard can this be? Honey, we're leaving. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so uh, I came out there for, for pretty much 10 years. I, I worked uh, doing stuff with Steve and Barry. I mean, Barry is so, such an incredible talent. I, I literally only wrote with him once, and it changed everything. And then Steve was running around. Like Steve, you know, he's really, in, he's a real commercial guy, just a real commercial vibe to him. But he would was a little paranoid, so he would bring in the most amazing players, and so I got to meet all these guys, and I got to work like. And he would do. He was just a wild man. Like I had, he had the the Jerry Hay horns in to play on some project we were doing, and they're the guys that played on like Toto Four with Rosanna, all the Michael Jackson Thriller record. And he goes, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. go in there, tell what you need to play. I'm, I'm gonna go have lunch next door. You know, he just left me in there. I'm like this little punk going out. You know. Mr. Grant, uh, yeah, you're a little flack. Can we do it one more time, please? You know, and so then and those guys took mercy on me, and and guys like Lee Sklar, Mike Landau, like these amazing studio guys, ended up being people I that were were my kind of my like my friends and that were really nice to me while I was producing or learning how to. Right. Now, growing up too, what were or who were some of the bands or or musicians you were a fan of? <clears throat> I was a Super fan of, of Michael McDonald, Doobie Brothers. In fact, I'm working on a movie right now, and I uh, I put uh, Black Water from the Doobie Brothers in this new movie. It's called uh, The Man in the White Man. Okay. And it's a great movie. It's a true story about a serial killer uh, in Florida in between 1974 and 1980, right about the time I was living there. So it's the easiest job <laughs> I've ever done. I'm going like, I know every song that was on the radio. Let's go, you know. <laughs> so that's been it's been really fun and so and and i'm pretty good friends with mike's sister and mike uh mike's son dylan isn't you know i i represent him for film and tv stuff so it looks like dylan's gonna get a song in the movie too so it's it, it should be really fun you know michael mcdonald's got i always like the 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 musicians that have such distinct voices that you can as soon as you hear it you know that's them and there, there's not oh, yeah. You know, some of this stuff, no offense to some of the stuff that comes out today, but a lot of this stuff sounds the same. But back, you know, man, back then, Michael McDonald, you knew when you heard, well, Yama be there, um, oh, yeah. Sweet Freedom, and, it, and it, any of the Doobie Brothers songs that he was on, you knew hey, that's Michael McDonald. But, you know, oh, yeah. From, well, and on my senior recital at the high school for the performing visual arts, I closed my senior recital with taking it to the streets with three black girls wailing a sack. You know, I did the, I, I did the whole thing. And, and uh, the uh, clinician who was reviewing my performance said, if you record this, I'll buy it. <laughs> you know, I'm going, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I did. Uh, yeah. I was a really big fan. I, I don't think I haven't really told Mike how big a fan I was. I was a complete fanboy. I think his sister kind of knows, but, but uh, I've never, right. I can set all that stuff. So now going back, when you first get started, how hard was it to write that first song that you wrote? Well, the, the, oh, God, the first one's pretty bad. 
Um, but by my second or third one, a, a, a guy who'd gone to the high school for performing visual arts before me, Mark Holden, had kind of come back and was like the, you know, he'd been doing Broadway, you know, kind of shows and commercials. And he and I became friends and he ended up producing my first two songs. And they came out pretty good. I mean, he, he was, you know, real clever in how he did it. I mean, they didn't go anywhere or anything, but, but it was, uh, I was right. in the studio by the time I was 16. And I played my first club at 14, you know, so it's like I got in really early. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, and you talked a little bit about how you got into California Dreams you, with Steve Tyrell. And when both of these, I didn't realize, and yeah, that time frame is right. I didn't even realize that with the hikes coming out at the same time. But working with on California Dreams, how – what kind of experience was that working with, with them? Well, it was, it was interesting because uh, the first, the first year there were a lot of other people writing songs, a lot of big publishers and stuff involved. And then they sort of kind of fell away after the first year. So after the year one on, we kind of wrote almost everything, you know, just the three of us, you know, there'd be a couple of a stray song here or there, but we would, you know, and, and Steve got pretty busy too. So it was mostly Stephanie and I, and uh, and Steve would handle like a lot of the production stuff. You know, most of that. But uh, but the writing stuff, we'd get to script. Stephanie do a lyric. Like we finally got it into like this thing where she'd go and do a lyric. I'd write the songs around it. Uh, and you were talking about the the last song that we wrote for the show. Like we we I remember we were having a meeting with Peter Ingle, who's the you know, the head guy for California yeah. Kings were going to look, there's a couple of ways we can do this. We could do this thing. And I said, I've got an idea to do something kind of down, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah. we, said, hey, we could do this or we could do something that could, that could be sad, that could, could make them cry, you know? And Peter goes, go for the tears. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much right into it. We're going, all right, well then let's do it. And so then we went on and finished it out that way, you know? And it works because you can watch, you can see the emotion on, on their face when they're, they, now I'm sure they had rehearsed. How many times had they heard that song? Because it's, you know, Not a bunch. It, it, it really looks like they, they, are, they are about to break down. Yeah, it was, there was, I, I, I can't remember, I think I sang that one. So they didn't really spend a bunch of time on it. You know, so they, when they got to the set and stuff, they were kind of hearing it. They hadn't heard it a bunch of times. So you could see that really worked to the benefit of the acting. Yeah, you know, definitely. For them think that they went, oh, my God, are you listening to this? Because <laughs> no. I, I I did talk to Jay about that one and how how that was. And he said, well, we really didn't sing that one. And that's when he told me about you. But so you sang both parts. You sang Jay and Aaron's parts. No, Aaron, Aaron uh, I think it, let's see, I'm trying to think of if it was, it might have been Zach Throne. If if that was got the guy re-singing. Zach Throne, really? Yeah, my, he sang for somebody. Uh, I don't know. If, I can't remember it towards the end who who sang for who on the last year kind of thing. But it was mostly, uh, I think Zach sang one or two tunes. So it wouldn't have been, Aaron might have sang his own stuff. I can't remember. Is uh, this the same Zach Throne is playing? He's still playing now, right? I think he's so. Playing he's, with he was in the heights. He's playing with Bruce. He, if it's a Zach Throne, I'm thinking about it, and it may be a different guy. He's play, playing with Bruce Kulick. 
I don't know. He could be. Zach's a weird guy. Zach's because, really talented, man. Hold on one, because I'm telling you, he is really, if it's the same <laughs> one, Eric I, I he is it. really talented. Well, he was, and Zach was in the Heights. It may be a different one. Yeah, it might be, you know. But Zach is a good actor. He was in Cop Rock, so Zach was in the Heights. So Zach and with Sean Thompson and those people. So we worked with both of those. I mean, we had those guys coming back and forth. Both the cast and crew members were were drifting in the studio in that first year. Right. I don't. I don't know. This one. This guy. He says he's played in in rock bands and. But man, I because when you said Zach Throne, I yeah. no lie. I'm a I'm a diehard Kiss fan. I've been since I was five years old, and Bruce Kulick, who was a former member of Kiss, his band played on the Kiss Cruise, and they were talking about how Zach Throne was playing, uh, was singing some of the songs, and was oh, so that, great. Different thing. Zach wouldn't have been; he wouldn't have been singing with Kiss. He didn't have that. Okay, kind of that's got to be a different. When you yeah. said, it, I was like, "Wow!" Yeah, that would have been weird. <clears throat> Yeah, but and also, you know, people. It, you you wrote the theme song California Dreams. I, I wrote with Steve and Stephanie. Yeah, same thing. Yes, sir. Iconic song there. I mean, I I remember hearing it for the first time, and I was like, you know, I watched Saved by the Bell. Of course, everybody I think back in that day watched Saved by the Bell. Mm -hmm. But when they started doing these new shows, and you know, some of them were kind of lame. But this one, I was like, you know, this is kind of good, cool with the, with the kids doing a band and then that theme song just hooked me in and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I do have the anthology. Uh, that they yeah. I have the anthology. I, I had matter of fact, I did a, I did a challenge to myself uh, and it would be a year at the end of this month. I was going to listen to as many entire albums from start to finish as I could. And that one was actually one recently that i listened to so there, there's a lot of great songs that that they put out of that that people don't realize and you gotta like that kind of music but yeah i like that kind of music um let's see what other songs was it that i mean some of the some of the better ones that you you wrote from california dreams can you remember wow uh, i mean obviously that, that the last one really comes in into mind um that was best uh, by far <laughs> What was the one that the ballad they because they did kind of a reunion thing and they had me sing uh, uh, too much they, to do last night was the one that they made too much to do. that was the one yeah yeah they had you were so you were at the reunion yeah yeah I watched that I didn't you know I would love to be there but I actually watched the YouTube clips of that so that was you okay yeah I was goofing off I dyed my hair purple for fun you know so <laughs> if I look a little strange I was uh I was goofing off. Yeah, but that was that was that was great. Too much to dream. Dream is is a great song too. That was the one where didn't the guy steal steal the song from Jake? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So working with the cast, how were they to work with? But I mean, I don't know how much you had, how much time you oh, worked with them. But how how yeah. how was it working with the cast? They were great. They were all really really good good kids. All of them. Uh, the other thing too is is by year two they um, they hired me so I would go in we do all the tracks and stuff and especially like they had the, the band for that was uh, Lee Scar on bass the guy with the beard that plays with Phil Collins and all all those people James Taylor then Mike Landau who's played with everybody from Michael Jackson to 
Faith Hill, amazing session player. The drummer was Gary Malibur, who uh, was the drummer in the Steve Miller band and also played drums on one of the Springsteen albums, you know, like he was just incredible. And then me on keyboards, like the one loser of the whole bunch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'd be, uh, every, every, we'd come in with the charts, it'd be kind of early in the morning or whatever. And I mean, every single time I got something wrong, cause it'd be like three o'clock in the morning and I'm going F sharp and it's like, yeah, it wasn't F sharp, it was just an F. And when everybody plays the F sharp, you know, stop the whole session because wait, wait, Barry got it wrong again. You know, so I became famous for really writing bad charts too. <laughs> I'm going, shut up, you guys. If I didn't write this song, you wouldn't be playing. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. So going up, moving on from California Dreams, did and like I said, talk about the heights. You write this song, How Do You Talk to an Angel? Like you said, it gets released as a joke pretty much just to see. Well, it's a test and they avoided it. Yeah. And yeah. you end up selling over 500,000 copies. It goes to number one on the Billboard charts. What kind of feeling was that to see that? That was un unbelievable because you, the whole time you're reading the trades, why it's not going to go to number one. Shame this song isn't going to do it because Madonna's doing her new sex book. Shame it's not going to do it because this guy's released that. And it ends up being number one in Airplay for six weeks. And it can't get to number one because Boys to Men, Into the Road, is selling oh, to wow. records, you know. <laughs> and we finally get up there. We're there for two weeks, and who comes screaming up? Whitney Houston with I'll Always Love You. <laughs> so for six months, there were three number one hits, only three number hit one hits in the United States. Because Boys to Men was well, you 13 weeks. We were for two weeks, and then I'll Always Love You was 14 weeks. So literally more than six, six well, you, months of the year, there were only three, three number one hits. Well, you keep some pretty good company with with you. Yeah, it's like, like man, so, I mean, people who don't belong there. That would be us, you know. <laughs> so what? Uh, you worked on that. Did you work on any of uh, Jamie Walters' solo stuff, or was that with somebody else? No, Steve did most of that. I don't, I don't think I did anything other than I did uh, the "I'm Sorry Donna" song for uh, <laughs> for for whatever that show is. Uh, 90210. Yeah, 90210. Yeah, I did that. I did um what else? Uh did I do anything else with, with on Jamie's records? Because Steve started managing them and he was running around, you know, kind of handling all that stuff. Yeah, he, he had one pretty good song. That hold on was pretty yeah, good. That yeah, that was good. and that was a that was sure. But like we talked about before, uh, you know, putting a guy in there to starting to launch his his singing career and having him uh, beating on his girlfriend on the show. Yeah, that ended up really killing his career, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, know, you don't even yeah, know where Jamie Walters is because he had a pretty good voice. Oh, yeah, great voice. And Steve recognized yeah. it early on and said, oh, man, let's get this guy, like a, like a, having a good, good basketball player, let's get him as many touches as we can, you know. So he was always feeding songs to Jamie, you know, for, for Jamie to sing. So what is this about? How, how about working on the Brady Bunch movie? That was um, that was really funny because at the time I'm doing the Brady Bunch movie, uh, Steve calls me to do that. And I am in the middle of doing a country record for Maureen McCormick, who was Marsha. Her, her manager had brought me in to do a record with her. So it was it was all like in January, February. It was a very Brady winter. I'll put it that way. 
And so I'm working with her and, and I went to Nashville. I got all these great players and musicians and songwriters. We're doing that record. And then um, at the same time, I'm coming back and working with Steve on, uh, on the Brady Bunch movie. And the Brady Bunch movie, um, I think it tested bad or something. They didn't think it was going to do good. So we had a, a, a budget I won't disclose, but we had a really decent budget. So we were writing songs for all these famous bands. And then when they cut the budget, they're going, we, we can't afford the bands. Screw it. Let's let somebody else sing it. So I ended up singing the end title song with Zach Throne from the Heights. I sang uh, another song. We made up a band name. We called it Generation Y because Mike Landau had helped write the song and stuff like that. It was Mike Landau, Lee Sklar, me and Steve, you know. So I sang that. And I, I sang it. I thought we were going to get somebody like Counting Crows. So, like, I'm singing the demo like Counting Crows. Like, I'm born here like you, you know. And then they leave it. They leave it like that. So I saw, I'm going like, okay, you know. Like the, right. worst, the worst one like that is I sang for a friend of mine. I sang the demo for Winnie the Pooh's Grand Adventure, you know. For right, yeah. I used to sing demos for people, you know. And when I'm singing a demo to get it approved, I would sing it kind of white, kind of rock, kind of R&B, kind of, you know all these different things so I could get it approved. Well, they, and I think they had wanted Kenny Loggins to sing it and Kenny wanted more money or whatever the deal was. It didn't go down. So they go, once again, screw it. Let Barry stay on, you know? So I stay on and oh my gosh, if you hear that song, it's like, uh, there's a baby face lick. Now he sounds like Kenny Loggins. Oop, there's a little Yamo beat. Like, I mean, I'm singing like eight different guys, you know? I need to I need to go check that out. Oh, it's funny. Yeah, when you, uh, yeah, when you hear it, it's it's uh, it's a little bit like you. I know what what occurred. I don't think it's as ridiculous to everyone else, but to me, I'm going. If I'd have known I was staying on the record, I'd have never sung it like that. You know. <laughs> now doing doing my research on you, and I and I have to ask because I don't know. You know, sometimes when you you know everything on the internet is true, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Just looking up here. Did you do some work on Kids Incorporated? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was another show that I grew up with there. That was another great I, I I sang vocals for one of the kids on that show, too. And that wow. was hysterical because uh, we, we, we were still doing an analog tape, so we would slow the tape down and speed it up. So I sounded a little bit younger, you know. <laughs> it's what they did to David Cassidy from the Partridge family. I right. think I love you. So I ended up doing his voice in Come On, Get Happy, the miniseries, like I was like the guest secret singer for all kinds of stuff. In, wow. in the Brady Bunch, I'm uh, Peter Brady when he sings like Elvis. You know, oh, got really? So I did that, you know. So, you know, so I was like ghost singing for all kinds of people. The, the craziest ghost singing thing is I uh, replaced Marilyn Manson in uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, a friend of mine who'd yeah, worked with wow. Uh, Mike Knobloch, who's now like a huge guy, you know, at, at the big studios and stuff. He was doing uh, a lot of the clearance and stuff for uh, for Moulin Rouge. Like it was a huge deal. Can you imagine like go going, hey, uh, you know, Sting, we want to do Roxanne as a as a as a uh, you know kind of as a tango. What do you think? Hey, Elton John, can I change a couple of words to your song and make it our song? You know, I mean, it was. It was a it was crazy work that Mike was doing. Mike ended up doing being the guy kind of over come on get happy too. So Mike okay. Mike really went on to from working with Steve and over at the company to 
I'm glad I was nice to him. <laughs> now these he's, he's like, <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> but he went on to doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so we came in, me and two other guys, and they put the movie up with all the different scenes. When it goes twice as fast, we just sang twice as fast. And we we sang on a Saturday. It was in L.A. and New York the next Friday. So we don't get wow. the credits. We don't get anything you'll see. It smells like Teen Spirit. Nothing. No credits, no nothing, you know. And they gave you the old, well, maybe ne- someday we'll give you the credit. But they never made right. it. But they paid us a boatload of money. You know, it was like, I'll five hundred bucks an hour. Good. <laughs> what time do I show up? Yeah, I'll pay you. <laughs> yeah, five hundred bucks an hour. Yeah, that's what it ended up working out to be. I think. You know, um, but we stacked it up, and it was like the three of us. And I think we did like seven tracks. You know, it's like, and we are now entertainers. I feel stupid. You know, and just you know, tr- tracking it. Now another one. Now another one. Now faster. You know, and they put the real movie up, but we sang to the movie. So that was kind of fun. Wow. In, um, so in, what? Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag with anything. But what? What's something else you've worked on that people might not work know about? Or can you say that? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing. I'm trying to think of. Uh, I, the, most of the crazy singing things uh, we kind of brought up. Um, uh, again, I, I've written 200 songs for film and TV. So there's. There was a time, man, when I was flipping around late at night, you know, and and all, especially the the uh, the late night, you know, cheap movies where they're killing somebody and someone's someone's top falls off, kind of thing. I'm telling you, man, in the in at some point, eighties, nineties, late eighties, early nineties, I was flipping around on cable. Me, me, me again. Like it was like I, I, I like I hit four cable channels when I was singing, or one of the songs that I wrote was on. And I was like, going, wow, you have a lot of bad movies. Like when you're, you can't, you skip around and you hit yourself four times in a row. That's God's way of saying you're doing a lot of this, you know? Yeah, exactly. So then talk a little bit about uh, musicsupervisor.com, what you do there. <laughs> well, it was sort of kind of an outreach out of what I did because I started drifting out of just songwriting and, and I started supervising films and scoring movies. I'm not a great scoring guy, but if it's the right kind of movie where they need something real melodic, something commercially kind of stuff, or a moody piano piece, those kind of things, I started doing that, and uh, I realized there were a lot of uh, a lot of software for me to to help me write music, but there wasn't a ton to help me license music. So <clears throat> I got some Texas oil men, went down there, had some drinks, and took my bowl jacket, him and his buddies. They say, I like movies. Well, 50 grand get you started. And so I built a software in 2005 for licensing music, then called all my friends. Hey, I'll pitch you to film and TV. And now we represent 18,000 labels and libraries in 79 countries around the world. And in the last month, we pitched 89 projects. So we put it, we put an artist in the new Spider-Man. We got five young Sheltons. So I'm taking guys like me, you know. And just licensing their stuff out and pitching yeah. them for film TV. And helping supervisors going, oh, my God, I need a song like this. Well, let me help you, you know. That's pretty awesome there. I would have never thought of that's That's helping out. I'm sure that's helping out a lot of young songwriters, too. It's it's helping a lot of them. Yeah, we're, we're, we're actually the secret thing. We're working on our own uh, music streaming site. That's going to be kind of like it's more music discovery. 
So you'll be right. able to stream it, you'll be able to license it, or somebody like you that's got a podcast. We want to kind of make it so you could have a theme song you could afford to broadcast. Like we want to kind of yeah. sort of help everybody in the in the the mid working class level. That's that's so, something that I that I, I've struggled for a long time to find a good theme song. And I'm still looking for a really good theme song that, that fits, but you know, the one I've got now is pretty, pretty cool, but you know, I'm still looking for something better, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely, you keep me posted on that because that's something I might be interested in. Well, we're, we're, yeah, we're talking to some good money people. We're about 80% done on building it. And a lot of what we built with music supervisors, we spent about $1.8 million on the search engine. You know, so there's a supervisor and again, the library too. Um, So the search engine, you can go as a supervisor and go, I want a rock song mid-tempo with a male vocal that sounds like that band Oasis from the 1990s. It's kind of sad, but has birthday in the lyric and I need it in Portuguese and it has to have acoustic guitar, you know? And so it's, it it keeps going. It's crazy good. You know, that specific. Give me every song whiskey in the lyric and I have 512 of them. Yeah, it's that specific. Because as a supervisor, that's what you need. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, but I've never seen a, a search engine that specific with something like that. That's that's pretty awesome. Well, it's a business one. So we we service all the other supervisors. So they'll come with us or or certain people. Like like I don't think all the big companies know how many how many times we're getting used. You know, we don't we don't advertise it. You know, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's a really great tool for the supervisors. Um, and it's obviously great for the bands, right? So you you said you had some movies in, the, I mean, some music in the new Spider Man movie. Yeah, we we had, we had, we put a song in the end of that. You know, it was one of those last minute things where they were kind of, oh my god, we're out of money, we're adding this extra scene at the end. Oh no, you know, like we put it in, I think two weeks before the thing came out. Uh, a guy named Danny Osuna who's out in uh, in Los Angeles, and he they have the end of the Spider Man where he's in Mexico and they're kind of doing the preview of the next movie. And that's yeah, the end credit scene. Yeah. So that's what we got in. That's how we got in late that late on that one. <clears throat> okay. So before, before I let you go, anything you talked about the documentary you, you're working on now, anything, anything you got coming up besides that? Um, I think the, well, the, the man in the white van, which is going to be, it'll, it'll probably be coming out in, you know, it could be as late as fall. I mean, they're, we're, we're not even done with it, so we're in the middle of it. Uh, but it's really good, and that's for Legion M Entertainment, which is really cool. They uh, they have crowdfunded their entire slate of films. So they have 40,000 investors that invested in their films, and they get a piece of all the films. So it's it's kind of like Kickstarter, except they get a piece right. of it. You know, so it's a really, it's a cool company. They're really fun to work with. The director Warren's like he's a writer director, so he's he's from Florida, so he really it wrote a great script. You know, it's it's always fun to work on a great project. Um, so so that's that's really fun. And the thing that we're excited about is is the uh, the new music discovery platform. It's going to be called We Get Music when we roll it out, and and it's uh, it's exciting because it's it really changes the way like we pay the artists like five to 10 times more than Spotify. So it's going to be really. Yeah, I know a lot of artists will be happy about that. That's ridiculous what they get paid on Spotify. Well, the major labels are making $2.5 million an hour from streaming. 
So they're making a lot of money. It's just not trickling down. You think with that's why a lot of these old bands don't like to put out new music now because they're not making enough off of it. They, yeah, like recorded music, it's it's not worth it almost. They these that's why the old yeah. guys are doing all the time because that's where the money is. Exactly. Yeah. And see, it's that's too- something I miss about. <clears throat> That's something I miss about the old days is, is you know, I, I love the fact, I love technology. I love the fact that you can stream stuff. You got it right at your fingertips. But I miss going to the record stores, buying a record, hold, holding it in your hand, and, and, you know, having the hard copy. And, you know, one of the things I used to love to do when I got a record or, or a CD or a cassette was read the liner notes. You know, well, you, who, yeah, you're in for a surprise. So we oh, really? Uh, Oh, we brought the liner notes back, and it is killer. You click on a song title, the album art blows up. All the liner notes, who played guitar, who played bass, the lyrics, everything shows up. You got to keep me posted on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please keep me posted on this, because that's something, you know, I've I've got more into collecting vinyl now. Yeah. Just for that, you know, I I, I buy some uh, stuff when it comes out. I go on eBay and hunt old stuff that I used to have and I've missed, but that is one of the things I miss the most about is the liner notes. So that you've got to keep me posted on this. Well, you know what's crazy about it? So we got the, the liner note thing, but then if you go, oh my gosh, I love Lee Sklar. If you click on Lee's name, every song he played bass on shows up and you can listen to it right then. Yeah, this, so is, this like, is going to be something. Well, yeah, but we were testing it. Every single one of us like lost like three hours of our lives. Because you'll go, I didn't know he played drums. Like, I found out there were guys, friends of mine that are, were using the same engineer, or we both recorded at this studio, or you know that drummer. Like, all of the all the stuff that we're finding out just playing around with the with the liner notes is so much fun. I mean, it's yeah. a blast. I don't know why somebody hasn't made, and then maybe they have, but I haven't been able to find it, because I actually went looking one night for a website that had just liner notes from albums on it. But, yeah, it, it you know, doesn't yeah, exist. I mean, yeah. know. Uh, what is it called? Uh, it's is it all is as is just dang it, man. There's there's somebody who does that the the, the liner notes stuff like that, um, but they don't. You know the the thing they've got the written liner notes and stuff, but it's it's not as cool as being able to click and listen to it. Like oh yeah, that's definitely no, it's not. You know, it's, not, it's like IMDb yeah. for music, except that you if you could watch every movie, you know. Like when you go and I right. was searching for TV shows, if you could just click and go, well, show me that actor in that scene, how cool would that be? be yeah, that's, that's actually, IDB is actually where I, I got some of my stuff on you from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I haven't kept it as current as I should, but, you know, but yeah. And I'm looking at it right now. I mean, yeah. Mystic Pizza. How did I miss this? You worked on Mystic well, Pizza? Yeah, and that was another fun one. So I should probably, you know, I should probably say this, that I am notoriously, I'm great at picking songs, but I'm horrible at picking movies. If I, if I hate the movie, you need to make it tomorrow. If I love the movie, don't do it. Like it's kiss of death. Brady Bunch, I made fun of it. What a piece of crap. This isn't going to work. 54 million at the box office. Number one for multiple weeks. Mystic Pizza. Oh, this thing's so stupid. They're just talking, blah, blah, blah. Then when they, we see the final screening with all the music in, I'm going, wait a minute. This is really good. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's a, good it's movie. like 
Yeah, I'm like, oh, and so, uh, and then I worked on a movie called Everybody's All American that I thought was just one of the most brilliant scripts. I've oh ever my gosh, heard. you worked on Everybody's All American. I loved that yeah. movie. I was doing stuff with that. I had, I was working. Oh, then I had a whole run where Steve and I were trying to get end title songs. We almost had the end title for In Terms of Endearment too. Like all these like hope floats. And I mean, we just went through before Talk to an Angel. We had three or four of those things fall out at the last minute. It was unbelievable. We we now, couldn't get, we couldn't buy a hit. You know. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's the thing I they don't want. Yeah, Hope Floats was one. Hope Floats is like my wife. That's what I was getting ready to say. If you worked on that, my wife will love you. My wife loves Hope Floats. So, so, so I write a lyric to the the melody. You know, right? You know, I write to the guy that scored the film a beautiful song. We get this incredible singer who sings like Bonnie Raitt to come sing it, and then we're going, "Oh my God, this is killer!" And then at the end of the day, something happens, and they go, they throw it out and put a Towns Van Zant song in. I'm going. But I wrote with the composer. You you can't do that, can you? Uh, we wrote the that to the Phantom too with Billy Zane. Right, and, right. Oh yeah. my God, it was so good. It never got in, and it was like now, a, oh. Let was, me ask you this: You talk about these songs now. Have these songs ever seen the light of day? No. No. In fact, what was worse is I had a horrible fire. One of my one of my sons was really young and playing with a stick lighter and all of my tapes, all my gold records, oh. all record collection gone. All of it. My studio, everything. I had a, my piano was in the living room. It's the only thing that survived. Oh, right. man. I would say that. Yeah. Those songs would be something. Well, Tyrell may have some of them, so I've been talking to him about it. So we may have to, you know. Yeah, I would definitely be interested in hearing that. You got my curiosity peaked on that, on that, especially on that Hope Floats one. Well, the the Phantom one was so cool because it was like we had these. It was kind of like a boys to men, you know, kind of group thing. And the the lyric was like, uh, it was like, "Love is a ghost, love is a shadow, love is a mystery, love is a phantom that only a dying can see." And then and then it's like. Uh, but the end hook was like, and the phantom is real. And it was wow. cool as all get out. They had wow. like these really great studio singers uh, uh, coming in. The guys that were going to tour with Michael Jackson before he died. Those two guys, Dorian and and those guys were going out with Michael when, they, when he passed away. So it was like, there's some unhappy guys, you know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you're seeing background for like those guys. I, I see them on TV. Oh, are they singing backgrounds with Don Henley now? Great. Going out with Michael Jackson. Like they were that kind of singers. So they were, it was incredible and never saw the light of day. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be something right there. I would definitely love to hear something like that. And, you know, you guys kill me, though. I'm going to go ahead and say, like I said, I wrote lyrics to a song. And I had, I actually, for, for our 20th anniversary, I had a friend of mine who is a musician somewhat. He, I, I asked him, I said, can you put this to, to music for, for my wife's anniversary? Mm-hmm. He put it to music and I'm like, he said, he actually gave me a pretty good comment. He said, man, if you could write 10 of these, you'd have a good country album. And I was like, dude. And I sat there, I said, you know what? I'm going to sit here and try to think of another one. I thought of maybe one or two, but man, I was, I'm like, I'm sitting here like, I can't get a good idea for this song. I, you guys 
I got nothing but respect for you guys for getting because getting an original idea for a song is is something else, and it takes talent to do that. It's a, it's a thing, like you know, and the more you do it, the easier it is. I think you know, um, like I wrote two songs for this this new movie, and it was uh, or co-wrote with some people, and it was it came out really really strong. One of them is kind of a, a an old soul thing, and the other one is like a Three Dog Night meets Bachman Turner Overdrive Southern Rock thing, and it's a oh, young yeah. artist named Clay Melton who had a number one blues hit last year, and this guy. 25 years old, sings great, plays like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like this thing could be a screaming hit if we if it if it comes out right. Clay Melton, and you know, yeah, Clay Melton, check him out. I'll check him out. Yeah, he's a he's really but, talented. All right, before I let you go, one more quick uh, quick hitting question, and I right. ask a lot of these guys. You know, this well, really, you're the first songwriter I've I've been able to interview. If you could pick one song that you you wish you had wrote, what would it be? Wow. Uh, Don't say happy birthday. No way. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would say I Can't Make You Love Me. Mike Reed. The one that Bonnie Raitt sang. Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. So you're, yeah, that's, an, that's a great song. He's a concert pianist, was an all-pro defensive tackle, and then wrote that song. Like that's just that again? Mike Reed. Mike Reed. He used to play for the Bengals. He was a defense, all pro defensive tackle, and he quit because he didn't want to hurt his hands because he was a great piano player. You know, and then he goes to Nashville wow. and that song. You're going like, you make me feel like a slacker, man. It's like, you know, when if you could do all those things, then I quit. Wow. So yeah, that I gotta tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, this has been a blast. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this. Uh, but you got I got to promise me to keep me keep me updated on this uh, this search engine because oh, what you got going on. Because I would definitely buy into that. Oh, it's going to be well. It's going to be ten bucks a month for the subscription thing. But we we do what's called a user centric model. So the only people who get paid are the people whose music you listen to. So like, it's like, we, 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 we take 30% to, you know, to do all the stuff we're doing and then whatever the bandwidth is, but it comes out to be 60, 70% of it's all going to the people who made the music. And so it's very, very pro artist. So where can, where can they find you on on social media, on, on the internet? Where can they find you at? Yeah, you can find me. I've got all the things. I'm not as active as you would think, but just, just under my name, Barry Coffin, you know, so I've got a Instagram and a Twitter and, a, you know, all of those kind of things. I, I, I'm not super active on it, but I, I troll on there. Right. Myself, you know. Yeah, I got you. All right, guys, I'm going to let you go. Have fun in Texas and good luck on everything coming up. I'm, I've definitely got Man of the White Van wrote down right here to look for because yeah. – uh, my wife is that's another thing she likes she likes her even my daughter now is getting into the the, the movies about the serial killers so and you know I'm, what? I'm not, the, the, that's the demo the demo are young people and women 45 to 65 they're all over the serial killers women like yeah. serial killer movies i'm going are you kidding me you know they I, kill you right you know that you know <laughs> and most of the time who they're hunting and exactly uh, 
Yeah, and you're going. I guess they're trying to study up so they can learn what they're supposed to, do, what the serial killers are doing. I well, guess. we got two female producers. They're both going. Oh, that's our people. <laughs> I'm going. Yeah, I, I, I'm going. Are you kidding me? They're going. No, no, we're not kidding you. It's a female well, we'll demographic. We'll definitely be looking for that man in the white van, and we'll be looking for the for this search engine you got coming out. Uh, it's oh, yeah. going to be great. Sounds great to me. I, I love the liner note thing. Thank you so much, Mr. Coffin. And uh, guys, that is Barry Coffin on the fly. Hold on, bud.